Welcome to Dear Us, a podcast inspired by the conversations we aren't having. In today's episode, we'll speak about death and love. So stay tuned. The human condition is nothing if not absurd. As human beings, we are inherently conflicted individuals, restricted in a defining body that naturally causes us to rebel against ourselves. Every action we take is an act of rebellion against the only truth we know, death. We are naturally then rebels without a cause, battling our bodily selves in order to impossibly win at life. Terror management theory captures the absurdity of it so well by proposing that terror arises within human beings due to the basic psychological conflict of wanting to live on but knowing that death is inevitable. It suggests that human beings unconsciously subdue this terror through the creation of culture, which provides life with meaning, and through engagement in self-esteem enhancing behavior. So that was me reading directly from my undergraduate thesis, um, in which I wrote about terror management theory and sexual objectification. Um, But terror management theory was what I mentioned, and it particularly um, centers around the idea of death, as you heard. Um, And Ernest Becker was the one who wrote about it in his book called The Denial of Death, really good book that my brother recommended to me, and I'm so happy I read because it made so much sense to me. It allowed me to make so much sense of things in this life, so much sense of my own behaviors and my own feelings. Um, And so um, the idea of humans being inherently conflicted individuals, um, he says something along the lines of, I'm not going to be quoting directly, but he says something like, Um, We have the capacity to ponder the infinite. We're seemingly capable of anything, yet we're housed in this heart-pumping, breath-gasping, decaying body, so we're godly yet creaturely. I just found it, like, amazing in so many ways when I read this. Um, And the idea that we have fear and anxiety built in within us that causes us to unconsciously desire things that will give us a sense of self-esteem that allow us to create meaning for our lives. Things like love even um, was something so uh, incredibly wonderful to think about. But um, I think it is what brought this the idea of this podcast together for me. Um, the idea that love is such a beautiful thing. It's what makes us, what makes life so worthwhile, doesn't it? I'm not speaking just of romantic love. I'm speaking of platonic love. I'm speaking of love for our parents. I'm speaking of love for our pets. I'm speaking of love for our friends. I'm speaking of all types of love here. Um, and so the idea that 
I mean, I think it's natural for us to love. It's kind of like a natural human instinct, I would say. Um, some may say that hate is something natural to humans, but I mean, that's for a different podcast. Um, yeah, so this idea that we we want to create meaning then makes me think of love. What could possibly compete with love when it comes to giving meaning to our lives? And so why death and love for this episode? Death because it is inevitable. We fear it. Our lives center around it. We make decisions to transcend it or run away from it because it's all that we have for certain and confirms our impermanence. And love, because it's what makes us laugh, cry, live in a constant state of ambivalence. It gives us meaning. It encompasses so much and holds so much space for us. But it's inexplicable, temporary, yet infinite. And they're both things we're not having conversations about. sending a voice note from New York because I'm back at university and already have a crazy amount of work um, but yeah I guess I'll just get to the first part of what this episode is about um, death to me it's just such an abstract concept for some reason like we all know it's going to happen at some point and it happens around us all the time from the death of strangers to plants and animals and people we know and eventually us too but for me it's always just been such an anxiety inducing topic the fact that like leaving everything we know is inevitable and that there's no way to know what comes next um it's just yeah it's just very anxiety inducing and it always kind of has been i feel like it's especially difficult I mean, and this is what I think, I could be wrong, but it gets more complicated when you don't believe in a specific idea of the afterlife or what happens after death. Like, if you believe in what is said to happen after death in a specific religion or something, for example, it doesn't, I'm not saying that it makes death less scary or that it makes you um, necessarily accept it, but it kind of promises something beautiful will happen if you kind of do like if you're a good person or whatever but it it promises you something you have some sort of idea of what is going to happen when you take your last breath but then not believing in that personally I think it makes it such a painful thought the idea of just one day kind of disappearing into nothingness and yeah I remember being asked by this girl in like sixth if I was afraid of death and I said yes like like that was the only answer that anyone could possibly give and she was kind of bragging about how she wasn't but at the same time like it wasn't a new conversation for me because you know obviously that um it's something that's always been spoken about in our house because our mother is so weirdly but kind of beautifully accepting of death and comfortable with the idea of it and Yeah, I mean, maybe being so attached to everything we know of is is a little egocentric, maybe. Um, Or, yeah, but to me it's kind of the unknowing and the inability to control how it happens or when it happens, but knowing that it will, that that's what scares me. 
Um, and as a kid, I think it was more of this, like, fear of not ending up in, like, heaven or, you know, th- there was that kind of fear that's instilled in, I think, a lot of people um, since, like, a really young age that kind of death can be a, a good thing and it can also be a bad thing depending on how you live. So that, that was kind of the fear that I had as a kid. And then as I grew up and kind of distanced myself from that and stopped really believing in in the traditional idea of what happens after death, um, I guess it just kind of became this fear of perpetual sleep. Um, actually, I think I remember speaking to some friends about that in, like, fifth grade or something, but how scary it was for, like, one day just to stop living and to just kind of vanish into this like never-ending sleep state um yeah so death is not something I'm comfortable with yet obviously the thought of it still makes me very anxious and like pushes me into an existential crisis but yeah and it's definitely something that I feel like you can tell a lot about a person by what they think about death so it's yeah it's an interesting thing to force myself to think about. So as Hannah said, my mom has always been really comfortable with the idea of death. Um, She spoke to me about it all the time since I was pretty young. She was strangely accepting of it, continues to be, and I feared it with all that I had. I couldn't even speak about it. I'd get annoyed when she'd start mentioning it. I was scared to go to sleep, and I mean, I was terrified. Um, I didn't understand what sleep was. I didn't understand what was happening to me while I slept. Um, I would create scenarios in my head of possible things that could happen at night that wouldn't allow me to wake up the next day. And then wake up multiple times during the night, probably scare my brother. Um, yeah, I had intense thoughts and existential sadness or confusion since I can remember. So I thought it would be only appropriate to have my mom on this episode and ask her to speak about her relationship with um, death and whether she's always been comfortable with it. I'm here with my mom. Um, and, uh, I really wanted to speak to my mom, even though it's weird to do this in English, about her views on death, because I think she's been one of my biggest influences in terms of my ideas on death and life and everything. Um, and she's just an interesting person in general to speak to, <laughs> so, um, Mommy. Yes. <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> okay. Um, since I remember, um, I remember that you were very comfortable with the idea of death since I was really little and you would speak about it as really openly. So I wanted to ask you, was this something you were comfortable with since you were really little or do you think your relationship with death changed? As you grew older? No, I, I think that 
this has always been something I have seen as a very natural thing that is going to happen eventually. Um, I have always felt that we are only on a transitional uh, period. So mm -hmm. death is the, the biggest step that we are going to take okay. later. This is only a temporary thing. Um, I think that my maternal grandfather yeah. um, influenced this in me yeah. because he used to speak about it in a very natural way. So it was something that it was never something scary. Yeah. Um, something that we should fear. So you've always been comfortable with this? I think so. I, okay, I'm comfortable and I understand that it's not easy to accept mm -hmm. that someone else has leaves you. Yeah. But the fact that that person has left, I think, is because it was the time when that person completed this temporary stage. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And you told me that when you were little, you told my great grandma something uh, about aging. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I, I have always wanted to reach an old age. <laughs> I have never understood the fear of aging or not accepting. Um, to be old mm -hmm. or to be near uh, you know the time when probably we are completing our time here um, but especially about aging I, I, I think it's something really nice <laughs> I look forward to <laughs> that's good uh, I think I think you, you age when you because you have already gone through all the steps that the young people yeah. are just starting to yeah. go through. So it's, I, I, I think it's, it's something I look forward to. <laughs> so how old were you when you told my great-grandma that I you was wanted? very small, like, I don't know, maybe eight or maybe, I don't know if I was even younger, but I have always wanted, I used to tell her, oh, it's so nice that you are old. I would <laughs> like to be your age. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, because I normally never hear that from people. Everyone is so afraid of aging, and I guess it's related to death. But because you've accepted it, yeah, I don't. I, I mean, if I don't age, I have to die <laughs> okay. eventually. Because if I, if I want to be your age, then I have to stop life. Mm -hmm. So I have to go through that period, which I think is a nice thing too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think something in specific has made you so comfortable with death or just your grandmother? No, since I was since I remember of my existence, I have always thought uh, and wonder where I came from. Yeah. So to go away from these is not something that Gives me or produces any anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm. There must be sadness involved in in living. You know, if you know that you are near, 
there is sadness involved in, in leaving the dear ones, but they're not um, not for you, not you, for me. If yeah. you were gonna be, it would be there would be sadness to to miss things of your children, uh, you know, other things in life that they are going to experience. Not to be mm-hmm. part of that, but then I think that we all have some time. And so you're not con- as connected to the material world as many people are. Yeah, that I don't have that. Uh, I don't. I don't. I. I don't feel the attachment <laughs> to to stay here because I need to stay here. Um, my the the only thing that would probably uh, make me sad mm-hmm. would be the fact that. I would miss my kids' lives happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you think love relates to death in any way? Because, I mean, of course it, it relates to... I think if you don't feel love, you can be dead and still be breathing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, I think you, in order to breathe, yeah, you have to feel love. That's true. For Someone or not something because there are people who love material things, mm-hmm. which at the end I think only fill them with sadness mm-hmm. and frustration. But you have to love animals, or you have to love nature, or you have to love people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it gives meaning to, to your life. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't feel that, I think if you feel love for material thing, then you are dead. <laughs> then you have lost it. Yeah. That's my mom. <laughs> and also I was thinking about um, the ocean recently because it's a place I love so much. Um, and for me, for some reason, the ocean gives me this feeling of um, internal like ambivalence because it makes me so happy but at the same time it's such a mysterious place Um, and it causes this sadness because it makes me contemplate my life and it makes me contemplate somehow sometimes my insignificance when I see how grand or great everything else around me is and um, it's a place also that calms me and it makes me feel all these different emotions that I think encompass what life and death make me feel or love makes me feel. It's this it's this place that just allows me to feel deeply. And I think somehow my love for the ocean, maybe indirectly or directly, I don't know, came from you or our upbringing because I remember going to the sea, I remember being at the beach a lot. Um, and I know you like the sea as well. Um, and I was just wondering, do you have the same emotions attached to it, or do you have different emotions attached to the sea? Does it make you feel something in particular? Um, I feel very relaxed. Um, if I'm at the beach, for me to see how the water moves, and the waves is, is like a miracle. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I feel tiny, mm-hmm. diminutive, mm-hmm. and insignificant in front of that yeah. um, wonder. Yeah. Um, I feel we owe respect to the sea. Yeah. So I I don't agree with many things that are being done in the world. Yeah. I think they are playing with nature. Yeah. It just doesn't make me feel good. Mm-hmm. Uh, is an unknown world, um, but I, I the, the way I feel when I'm sitting, looking at the water and how it moves, I just feel that it's connected to how life passes. Mm-hmm. But that's that's how I relate to it. Mm-hmm. That same way. And water comes and goes, that's how things happen in our life. With every wave. Yeah, things come and go. We have good times, bad times. We have high tides and low tides. Mm-hmm. So these things, I feel that it's like there's a resemblance between uh, the sea life mm-hmm. and our human life on Earth. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> That was my amazing mom, who I have to thank for agreeing to do this. And thank you for listening in so far. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes and share with friends. And stay tuned for more interesting thoughts on death and love. death everyone knows that it's inevitable but nobody really expects to die when they do or for those around them to die when they do because we're not thinking about death every day in our daily lives we're not living each day like it's our last day Um, because death can be a scary thought whether it's how you die or when you die or the people you're going to leave behind or the idea of losing someone you care about personally my biggest fear is losing a family member or friend But I do think that the conscious awareness of death can kind of serve as a motivator in some ways. For example, people who adapt a healthy lifestyle, who exercise, who eat healthy, they're not thinking about death every day that they go when they go to the gym or when they eat a healthy meal, but they just want to live a long, healthy life and and kind of forestall death as much as possible, which is what most people want to do. The fact that we're not immortal and we don't have forever to live can also kind of help motivate us to set goals and achieve them, whether it's career goals, relationship goals, or personal goals. And um, I also think that a major factor that that shapes how we think about death or, or feel about death is our belief on what happens after we die. Like, most people believe in heaven or hell, and that's obviously where religion comes in as well. Like, life is short, but, you know, the afterlife is is eternal. Other people think that nothing happens after we die, and we just kind of sleep forever, and other people believe in reincarnation. So I definitely believe that our beliefs in what happens after death affects our attitude towards it.
That was my amazing friend Sally who sent me a voice note from Lebanon which made me so happy because I wanted to get other people's opinions on death and love. And so I also asked my friend Zane. Hola, ¿cómo estás? <laughs> Why do we love one enough when we know it's temporary? I actually don't think that you love someone thinking the fact that it's temporary. You don't think, you don't choose to love someone I think you may choose you choose to like or dislike someone but I think love comes from within and uh, it does not fade away once like a person dies I think it's uh, important to understand that you the love continues if you don't realize it but I think it's still there and um, it's similar to like if you were away from your parents and you know you haven't spoken to them let's say in a year you don't stop loving them or you don't you don't uh, stop having that feeling of affection for them regardless you will, you never will essentially so i think it's uh, it's one of those things where you actually don't stop loving you still love them equally if not more i'd say and uh, it's uh, i think death to me was one of those things where a lot of people think of it as something so sad but i think it's one of it's a moment to actually celebrate that individual's life and actually be bit more happy about it rather than sad it is i can see where people are coming from when they say like it's a sad thing but equally you i think it's better off with that celebration of uh, a person's life rather than their them being separate from you i think that's a bit of uh, it's almost like you're being selfish that you know that you're sad because someone left you rather than you being happy for that person because they lived while they did with uh, so much so much love and so much happiness okay i just discovered this place and social enterprise called death cafe and on their website it says at death cafe people often strangers gather to eat cake drink tea and discuss death and so they're like a discussion group. Um, and the first one ever was offered in Hackney, East London um, in 2011. And their objective is to increase awareness of death with a view to helping people make the most of their finite lives. Yeah, so that's interesting. And you could also run your own death cafe. Okay, I have to look into this. Anyway... Um, so Zane speaking about celebration of life made me think of my mom who says that at her celebration of life, she actually uses that word. Um, and she's told us multiple times. She wants this song called uh, La Luna y el Toro, so the moon and the bull. And it's sung by Tomás de San Julián. And, um... So I thought I would play it for you. La luna se está peinando En los cristales del río 
Y el toro, el toro la está mirando entre la escondido cuando llega la alegre mañana y la luna se escapa del río el torito se mete en el agua invistiendo al ver que se ha ido Ese toro enamorado de la luna que abandona por la noche la manada es pintado de amapola y aceituna y le puso campanero el mayoral los romeros de los montes le besan la frente la estrella de los cielos le bañan de plata y el torito que bravío de casta valiente abanicos de colores parecen sus patas la luna viene esta noche con una bata de cola y el toro, el toro la está esperando entre la ara y la sombra y en la clara del agua del río donde perdido la vigila como un centinela ese toro enamorado de la luna que abandona por la noche en la mala es pintado de amapola y aceituna so the song is actually about a bull in love with the moon. It's, um, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, I also called Ramin my fiancé, but that's still a weird word, and asked him his views on death and love. I realized that I, ha- I have felt love. I have felt uh, different types of love. Like I've been in, I am, I am in love. I've fallen in love, right? I am, my, the love I have for my mom, my parents, for a friend, for um, a brother or sister. You know, like we, we sort of know what love is, right? But when, when I was asked what I thought about love and death, I, I immediately uh, realized that. Even though we we have no idea what death feels like, it's a lot easier maybe, or uh, to to cover uh, a lot of angles, you know, like to talk about death. Whereas for love, I feel like even though we know how we know what this love thing is, it's it's a lot 
harder to describe it because it's so it's so specific to the person. I feel it's so personal that it'll be hard to put in words when explaining to another person or a bunch of other people. Whereas death sort of like unites us. Uh, it sort of is the end of every. There's no personal, specific, customized, personalized death. You know, like obviously, people, all different people die in different ways, but you end up in the same situation. So, this reminded me of a quote by Ernest Becker, where he says, "What does it mean to be a self-conscious animal?" The idea is ludicrous, if not monstrous. It means to know that one is food for worms. This is the terror. And then he also refers to us as fancy worm food. So this idea that, um, yeah, in death we are all equal. If we become more self-aware of our death, if we go about life aware of death, will that make us um, better human beings? Will it make us realize that we are all equal, we will be all equal in death, and so in life, too, we are all equal. And so um, I think it's really interesting to think about death in that way, um, to think that in death we are all the same, uh, regardless of gender, class, um, race, sexuality, um, religion etc etc that we will all be the same in death and so it should be a reminder and serve as a reminder that um like Ramin said there's no unique death for you what would you say love is if I had to I would have to single out a specific relationship meaning like a specific love and then describe that because love can be you could love music you can love what you and that's love. But you love a person. You love a, you know, you mm-hmm. love a place. You love a city. But in terms of a person having love or being, being loved, the only time that love is different is when you can love something or someone, obviously someone, and that someone loves you back. Then it becomes something, I guess, it's like a two-way street. It adds a whole other dynamic to it because then first person the person a and person b are in love right or they love each other mm-hmm. person a's love might even contradict person b's love that's how messy it can get i guess mm-hmm. it can be a it can be a very bumpy ride however it's still love you know like it does it's not fairy tale happily ever after that's not what i think love is in any way it's just basically when i look when i Talk about love in terms of a romantic love, a relationship, a husband and wife, of uh, two, I don't know, lovers, partners, whatever. I, I, I feel like it's about wanting to spend the rest of your time here with that person um, so that by the end of the process, you have almost integrated with another person, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess wanting to be with and become like someone so badly and the feeling has to be mutual (laughs) Uh, it's like you know you have to admire things in the person that you love right and in my situation the things that I end up admiring about uh, my 
my person that I'm in love with. Uh, I don't have. I don't have the things I admire about her. And I don't know, but she might not have certain qualities or habits uh, that she admires about me, maybe. You know? Um, so, yeah, I find, I'm one of the people, I don't know how the world splits in terms of comfortable about talking about death and not comfortable, but I feel like it, it's easier to wonder about death than to describe what love is. Oh, love. Love, what would I say about love? Oh my God, it's so crazy. <laughs> like, what is love? Like, first you have to define what is love before you define how it shapes you. And once you do you define love. And that's my friend for 20 years now, Hannah. I don't know, like, we do things because we're like, are we, is it because we're afraid of dying or do we, are we not afraid of dying? Because we're like, we want to do the, all these things before you die. But at the same time, sometimes you don't really think about, you, you, it's very hard to live with the fact, oh, I might die tomorrow. But at the same time, if we lived to doing every day like it was our last day, really, will we be doing what we're doing today? Probably not. So I feel like most of the time, we just kind of like, with death especially, you kind of like, think it's so far away from you. You know, you always feel like, oh, you have so much time. Oh, you have so much time. Thank you, thank you, thank you to my friends um, for sending me voice notes. Um, I've been thinking about how there's a thin line between dreaming of things you want to achieve and see happen while trying to remain present and then just rushing through life to try and get things done before you die. And it's difficult to do the first one, to be able to ground ourselves and and be present in the moment and in the now. Um, But if we open ourselves to love and vulnerability to all living beings around us, finding connection and unison, can we then find peace and temporality? There's a poem by um, Joe Brainard that I discovered recently, and I'm going to read just part of it. Death has a very black reputation, but actually to die is a perfectly normal thing to do. And it's so wholesome, being a very important part of nature's big picture. Trees die, don't they? And flowers? I think it's always nice to know that you are not alone, even in death. Let's think about ants for a minute. Millions of ants die every day. And do we care? No. And I'm sure that ants feel the same way about us. But suppose, just suppose, that we didn't have to die. That wouldn't be so great either. If a 90-year-old man can hardly stand up, can you imagine what it would be like to be 500 years old? Another comforting thought about death is that 80 years or so after you die, nobody who knew you will still be alive to miss you. And after you're dead, you won't even know it. So I found it humorous, and it also, I feel, speaks to the idea that we are not so different from all other living things on this planet that we should let go of our egos that are responsible for so much of separation, violence, segregation in life, and realize that we are all made of star stuff, as Carl Sagan says, that our home is only a tiny planet in the great cosmos. Um, Yeah, that really, you know, us before a a big wave, um, us looking up to the sky, looking at the stars when it's, you know, pitch black outside, do we not feel are are somehow 
insignificant? Do we not um, remember that our claims to truth are merely that claims? Um, that the only universal truth we know of is death. And there's also one more poem in relation to death and love that I want to read. It's by Emily Dickinson and it's called Enable Are the Love to Die. Enable are the love to die, for love is immortality. Nay, it is deity. Enable they that love to die, for love reforms vitality into divinity. called Bios Urn that actually provides biodegradable urns that turn ashes into material for the growth of a tree. And one of their taglines is, back to nature, back to life. I do find it beautiful and I think I'd want to be turned into a tree. No, but actually it does remind me of how interconnected all life is. Um, and it just captures so well our desire for eternity. And also I think the idea that ashes turn into a tree it just brings me back to celebration of life. And so I'm going to play a song that Ramin told me he'd want played at his celebration of life called Aesarvan by Mohsen Namju. The music touches me so deeply um, and I'll explain uh, what it's about after you hear it.
تمامی دینم به دنیای خالی شراره عشقی که شد زنده بایی به یاد یاری خوشا قطر عشقی به سوز عشقی خوشا زنده بایی همیشه خدا یا محبت دلها به دلها به ما فسان دل ما کلیلی و مجنون فسان می شود حکایت ما جاودا می شود So in essence, it's about fate taking his loved one away from him and that even in the temporality of the love and in its memory, there is joy. That although there is pain in that love, it is love that gives meaning to his life. And then he continues with, Fate, why are you taking Layla away from me? <sighs> so thank you for listening in to the second episode of Dear Us. I really enjoyed recording it. Rate us on iTunes, share with friends, and you can find me on Instagram at Tanya with an I dot Nishat Botero. And you can find Hannah at Hannah Nishat Botero. Can't wait to have more meaningful conversations. And I'll leave you with a song by Mercedes Sosa called Gracias a la Vida, Thanks to Life. Gracias a la vida. Me dio dos luceros Que cuando los abro Perfecto distingo Lo negro del blanco Y en el alto cielo Su fondo estrellado Y en las multitudes El hombre Gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto, me ha dado el sonido y el abecedario con las palabras que pienso y declaro, madre, amigo, hermano. 
y luz alumbrando la ruta del alma del que estoy amando. Gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto, me ha dado la marcha de mis pies cansados, con ellos anduve ciudades y charcos, playas y desiertos, montañas y llanos. Tuya, tu calle y tu patio. Gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto. Que agita su marco cuando miro el fruto del cerebro humano, cuando miro el bueno tan lejos del malo, cuando miro el fondo de tus ojos. Gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto, me ha dado la risa y me ha dado el llanto. Así yo distingo picha de quebranto los dos materiales que forman mi canto. Y el canto de ustedes que es el mismo 